Hey, my name is Parker Manuel, pastor of Pinewood Church in Boulder, Colorado, where our mission is to meet people where they are and point them to Jesus. Hope you enjoy today's podcast. Hey team, my name is Matt Slaughter, and uh, I'm just going to dive in. If you have your Bibles, go ahead and open them to uh, Matthew 6, and also we'll be looking at Luke 11. And so if you have them or you have the Holy Glow, you can go ahead and do that. I'm also going to have some friends on stage with me, which is pretty atypical for us. I can't see everybody, but I wish I could. Um, we, uh, we'll have some friends on stage. Uh, Marcus bless his soul, is going to be playing behind me the entire time to make this a little bit more spiritual, you know? Um, and then, <laughs> and then uh, Bree is also going to be painting for, uh, for us, and I'll go into that here in a second. So if you see everything happen behind me, um, they're here on purpose. This was part of the plan. They're not trying to, to steal the show or, uh, or just be up here, so... Hey, um, so again, my name's Matt. I, I, I came to, to Pinewood exactly three years ago today. It was actually when I, when, actually it wasn't my deal, it was Dax. Dax ran into Parker and Jess's uh, one-year-old, Sila, and uh, uh, the rest is kind of history. And uh, I've had the privilege of serving on the team for, for three years now, and I just don't know what else I'd do without Pinewood. Um, we're glad you're here. Um, uh, I'm going to start off with a story. I didn't grow up in an explicitly Christian household. I had a great upbringing. Um, my, my parents were awesome. But uh, it wasn't until about 13 or 14 that I stumbled into Walnut Ridge Baptist Church in Mansfield, Texas in 2000. And uh, I love that community. That community was amazing. They still are. Um, but I remember one very specific experience I had there. Um, like there was levels and there was nuance and complexity to one specific, what we would call spiritual discipline. Um, and that was prayer. When I would ask, uh, hey, how do you, how do you pray? I remember getting this answer, and maybe you have too. Uh, it's, it's just talking to God. And although that's not, not true, that's very true, it could also leave people feeling unhelped, uh, maybe feeling like their prayers are whimsical or not specific and they don't exactly know what to say. Um, and that's how I felt. And so my hope in this particular message is to paint a picture of um, how to be more specific. Because that was my response. When people say this to me, I was like, I wish you would be more specific. Is it just talking to God? Like, is there, are there things I need to say? Are there things I need to focus on? How do, I, how do I make my prayer powerful? How do I make my prayer more, let's say, colorful? I want a little bit more detail. We've been walking through a collection of talks here at Pinewood called uh, Minute by Minute. 2020 is weird. If it hasn't been for you, I'd love to talk to you about what you've been doing because it's been super weird for most people I know. And so instead of looking far in advance and saying, uh, what are we gonna do six months ago? This is gonna be fine in nine months or whatever. We're taking it uh, minute by minute. And in those minutes, we talk about spiritual disciplines, the things that bring us closer to God, uh, that grow, help us grow in our apprenticeship to Jesus and help us unleash the power of the Holy Spirit within us. And so we're talking about all of those spiritual disciplines. And today I get the honor and privilege of speaking on prayer. Uh, in this room, we probably run the spectrum of like, like feeling good about prayer and feeling like maybe you're doing it wrong. Maybe not. Maybe you got it nailed and you would, you would say like you have it like on fleek, as the youths would say. But I don't, I don't always feel that way. I don't always feel that. Sometimes I feel like I'm, I'm, I'm doing it wrong. 
You know, I feel like I'm not saying the right things. I'm really not connecting with, with God. And so we're gonna, talk, we're gonna talk about just that. I guarantee that if you lean in today, you're gonna learn a little bit more about, let's just say the colors of prayer. And hopefully it'll help you in your prayer life. That's my, that's my hope. Y'all good? Y'all with me? I can't see y'all's faces, so I just hope you are, you know? If you could speak out, it'll help me know, you know? Sweet. There are many types of prayers. There's uh, contemplative prayer. There's imaginative prayer. There's listening prayer. There's prayers of adoration, prayers of thanksgiving. The prayer we're going to focus on today is what's called the Lord's Prayer. It's a prayer of intercession. And that word intercession, that's just a fancy word. Um, the Greek is intuxis. It means to uh, petition a king, to present a request to a king. And that's what most prayers are. It's most of us saying, I wish you would do this thing. I want you to do this. Or, or can you do this? And so, um, you know, one could argue that this is some of those well-known, I hope you don't like, like shut off, stick with me. Because this is some of the most common language we know. It's, it's arguably some of the most popular words that Jesus ever spoke. My hope is that hearing it, some of you may hear it for like the thousand times, some of you for the first time. Um, but I, I hope that it to you has the same vitality that it did 2,000 years ago. And so again, we're gonna be in Luke 11, one through 13 and Matthew six. I'm gonna jump between the two versions because I don't know, reasons. There, scholars, scholars believe that like it might be um, two vantage points of one moment or two separate events of Jesus teaching the disciples how to pray. Either way, it doesn't really matter. Uh, it's really great. I, I, I typically like the Matthew's version. It's like the director's cut. It's a little bit longer. You get a little, you get a little more bang for the buck, um, if that's okay to say. I don't know if it is, probably not, but here we go. Luke 11, one through 13. I'm gonna jump here and I'm gonna jump back to Matthew. He says, one day Jesus was praying in a certain place. When he finished, one of his disciples said to him, Lord, teach us to pray, just as John taught his disciples. And we'll jump over to Matthew. And Jesus said, and when you pray, do not keep babbling like the pagans. This is in verse seven. For they think they will be heard because of their many words. Say many words. Do not be like them, for your father knows what you need before you ask him. Your father already knows what you need before you ask him. This then is how you should pray. This is what we know. Our father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us today our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. And lead us not into temptation and deliver us from the evil one. For if you forgive other people when they sin against you, your heavenly father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive others their sins, your father will not forgive you. I'm gonna pray real quick. God, we love you. And thank you that we get to do this and that we get to gather in your name and learn more about you, learn more about what, what you intended prayer to look like. Lord, bless every soul in this room. May they hear the words that you want them to hear and they leave feeling more encouraged, more equipped, and closer to you. We ask all these things in your son's mighty name. Amen. This is actually, this is fun. This is the only recorded time in scripture that the disciples actually asked Jesus to teach them something. Like they saw Jesus pray so much that they're like, ah, that looks like super important. How you do it? How you do it like that? And they said, could you, could you teach us? And Jesus says, yes. He didn't return. He didn't retort and say, how could you possibly not know? 
it's just talking to God. He said, no, like, I'm gonna give you very specific things. Scholars don't think that this was something that we're supposed to recite, and it's important that we take that one thing away. It wasn't a prayer that was given so that we could just say it word for word, liturgically, and just walk away. It was given as a pattern. I'd like to propose that it's more of a palette. Jesus gave us all these things, these colors to paint with, the colors of the wind, if you will, for the Disney fans. And Marcus could play that right now. I know we could just, just go ahead and just go straight into it. I know we could do it right now. Pastor Parker would be like, what'd you preach on? I'd be like, we didn't. We sang Disney songs for an hour. Uh, he'd be like, never again, never again. Um, sorry, where was I? Palette, palette for prayer. And so this is why, why Bree's up here with us, right? And so uh, this is a palette. Let's, let's pretend that prayer is a painting. It doesn't need to be a masterpiece because by nature of painting, it already is something special, right? If everything isn't beautiful, then nothing is. Am I right? If everything isn't spiritual, then nothing is. Am I right? Some days my prayers are riddled with confession and repentance and begging God to rid me of the dark stuff. Other times it's naming all of his goodness and kindness. Other times it's, it's all ask and petition for others. And then many, many variants in between. My hope is that you leave today with a more colorful set of prayers. The big idea, and when you write this down, if you're taking notes, it's the more colorful prayer comes from knowing who God is. It comes from a relationship. It comes from knowing who and what the word says he is. And when we know who he is, then our prayers become way more powerful. They become uh, more colorful. If you were in Sunday school like me, you maybe heard this. The basic prayer color palette is, is something like this. It's P-R-A-Y, uh, praise, um, uh, ask, sorry, praise, repent, ask, yield. And let's just, for a second, we'll pretend like those are just like the basic components, but we're gonna build on top of that. Does that make sense? Are we good? So bright. Um, <laughs> let me give you a lazy version. And when I, when I communicate this, I've prayed some of these prayers. I've prayed lazy. I've prayed in a prideful, self-righteous way. And so don't think that, that I have this dialed I got so stretched even this week in my prayer life to say, man, there's so much more available to us. God gave us prayer as a tool, a weapon, and we should use it like that. I'll give you a, a, a variation of like a lazy prayer that maybe, maybe I've prayed. For praise, I would say, God, you're really awesome from, from what I hear. I'm sorry I did this thing that made you upset. It would be great if you could help my food digest later Maybe you said that before a meal, bless this food to nourish our bodies. Um, and then like, amen. Or maybe a proud version. God, you're really awesome for making me. Uh, I can't think of anything I would wanna change. I think I pretty much nailed it this week. Hey, I deserve this. Could you give this to me? This thing, this material possession? And hey, by the way, I've got some things going on this week. It'd be cool if you could align like your plans to my plans. Amen, amen. And I, I feel like, like without a deep understanding of who God is, we can maybe make our prayers look something like that, where it's, it's kind of whimsical, maybe dismissive. We see this majestic being and we ask him like, hey man, could you, could you make our food digest later? Or like, we think he's like Jesus from State Farm, like, like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. And he's like, like a cosmic vending machine versus the most powerful being in the universe. 
We've all been there. The reason our communication with God is babel or non-existent is because we lack relationship with him. We at Pinewood believe that we, uh, and you maybe know this, you've heard us say this, we pray specifically so we can praise specifically. It's about specifics. It's about being detailed. Even if God knows everything in our heart, which he does, he still wants us to say it. He wants us to trust him. It's It's an exercise in trust. It's an exercise in belief. Do you believe in him enough? Do you trust him enough to be specific with him? To be so specific that it's not just blobs of paint on a canvas. And so you'll notice, Bree's kind of helping me with this. And by the way, can we give it up for Bree? Like, I literally called her yesterday. I was like, oh, it'd be dope if we had like a canvas. And she's like, I've never painted on a canvas before. And I was like, it'll be fine. I think it'll be part of the, part of the, the, the illustration because you don't have to be perfect. You don't have to be a, a, a master painter. You just have to know what colors you're working with and who you're doing it for. And so um, she's got some basics, right? So let's just say like white is praise, red is repentance, blue is ask, yellow is yield, right? Here's the core. Here's the main points. And as we work through the Lord's Prayer, I want us to focus on what, what, when we recognize the character of God or something about him and our relationship to him, what it changes. And I'm actually just gonna make this really easy. It's gonna be um, how we request, how we repent, and then how we rejoin him and receive what his plan is for our life. Those are, those are gonna be my three. You guys with me? We good? Sweet. First we see, verse nine says, our Father in heaven, give us today our daily bread. In verse 11, it says, when we remember that he's our Father and he's close, we can request like a son and daughter. I'll say that again. When we remember that he's our Father and he's close, we can request like a son and daughter. That word heaven, like if you grew up in Western church, like you probably heard the word heaven and you imagine like up in the clouds, big throne, pretty far away, like universe, almost like Thanos as God versus like, like God. And heavens actually translated means air and sky. Like it's all around us. Like that's how close he is. He's the air around us. He's the air in our lungs. He's not far away. He's not so far away that we can't talk to him like a father is close. When we recognize him as a loving father, it drastically changes our request. We don't just ask for stuff. We ask to supply our need, not just our greed. I think it's important that Jesus started with the father side of God in this prayer, that if we look to him as a father, it does many things. It reminds us that he's loving. It reminds us that he's close. Augustine said it best, God is the reality whose center is everywhere and whose circumference is nowhere. God is the reality whose center is everywhere and whose circumference is nowhere. He can and wants to provide all of our physical and material needs. Later, Jesus, later in the passage, Jesus goes uh, into greater detail describing um, a traveler asking for bread in the middle of the night. And so I'll read it here, picking up in verse five uh, of Luke's side. Then Jesus said to them, suppose you have a friend and you go to him at midnight and say, friend, lend me three loaves of bread. A friend of mine on a journey has come to me and I have no food to offer him. And suppose the one inside answers, don't bother me. The door is already locked and my children and I are in bed because it's midnight. I can't get up and give you anything. I tell you, even though 
he will not get up and give you bread because of your friendship. Yet because of your shameless audacity, he will surely get up and give you as much as you need. Yet because of your shameless audacity, he will surely get up and give you as much as you need. How much more would your father give you? Which of your fathers, if your son asked for a fish, would give him a snake instead? Or if he asked for an egg, would give him a scorpion? If you then, though you are evil, know how how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father in heaven give the Holy Spirit to those who ask him? I love that phrase, it's shameless audacity. Do we have the shameless audacity to ask God for things? Like to ask without like being, ah, it might be too much knowing who he is as a father and he wants good things for us. It reminds me of my son Dax. Um, I've told many of these stories before, so apologies if this is remedial. He'll, he'll ask me, Dad, hey dad, can we watch a movie? And I'll be saying, yeah, that's fine. And then he'll, he'll immediately follow up and say, can we watch five movies? I'll be like, uh, no, that's no, that's not okay. But I super admire the confidence, the confidence in wanting to do that. He has no fear. He's like, if I can get one, like I can get more. There's probably more. This guy has the ability to make this happen. Dax, if Dax would uh, like ask me for things like a Batman suit, like recently we went through Halloween and he wanted like every costume. And if I asked him, because it's about the motivation, if I asked him why he wanted the Batman costume, he would probably say something like, because all my friends have it, because there's eight bat room, or Batmans in my, my class. Juxtapose that with another ask. He loves to go hiking. He'll ask me every Friday if we can go hiking on Saturday. And if I asked him why, he would say, I like to spend time with you. He's four, he doesn't have the language to say that, but that's exactly why. He likes that it's just a time for me and him to go conquer a mountain and look for dragons. He loves it. And it's the heart posture. And God's no different. If we ask God for stuff to say, well, everybody else has it. He'll be like, ah, that's not, that's not a good enough reason. But if we ask him, he's like, I, I want to spend more time with you. He's like, get game over, man. I'll give that to you any day. For sure. That makes perfect sense. But I want to take it one step further. The shameless audacity of Dax, if I sell him something on Friday that, hey, we're gonna go hiking on Saturday, and I wake up that morning and we don't go hiking, what does he do? He'll look at me and say, Dad, you said, you said we're going hiking, and he won't let me out of that. He'll say, you, we have to go hiking. It reminds me of Moses in Exodus. And Moses says this, Moses sought the favor of the Lord his God. Lord, why should your anger burn against your people? People were being cray. Whom you brought out of Egypt with great power and mighty hand. Why should the Egyptians say it was with evil intent that he brought them out to kill them in the mountains, to wipe them off the face of the earth? Turn, turn from your fierce anger. This is Moses talking to God. Relent and do not bring disaster on your people. Remember your servants, Abraham, Isaac, and Israel, to whom you swore by your own self. I will make your descendants as numerous as the stars in the sky, and I will give your descendants all this land I promised them, and it will be their inheritance forever. Then the Lord relented. What? Then the Lord relented and did not bring on his people the disaster he had threatened. And it's, I have to be careful here because I don't want to communicate to you that all you have to do is challenge God or test God and he'll like respond to that. That's a no-no. That's like not great. Don't do that. What he did was he said, he looked and he said, there's a difference in saying, God, you said, prove it. 
You said this, prove it. He didn't say that. He said, no, God, you said that this is who you are and this is what you can do. Will you please do it? Do you see the difference? It's not a prove it. It's a, you said, you said this and I believe it. I believe it. I believe that you are who you said you are. I'm reading it right now. Please, please do this thing. That's how we should ask. That's the difference. Do we see the difference? Amen. Are we bold? Are we audacious? What would you ask if you truly believed what God is capable of? Is it just digestion? Maybe it is. Maybe you have IBS, and I get that. I totally understand. I can't do dairy. Wish I could. But there's more. But there's more God can do. He's more he's capable of. I do this thing at restaurants. If you go to a restaurant for me, I think I did this with Sam, Jake, and Ross the other day. I'll, I'll go, and I'll ask for a good guy discount. Have you, seen, have you heard of this? Does anybody else do this? Just me? I'll go to a restaurant, and I'll talk to the waitress or waiter, and I'll say, do you guys have a good guy discount? They'll be like, what? They're like, oh, a good guy discount. It's like, oh, like it comes, I'm a kind of a good guy. It would be nice if you had a discount. And they'll usually laugh, and they'll give me a discount. Isn't that crazy? Isn't that, that's totally bonkers. It started as an exercise when I was in high school to try to test my confidence in just asking. What's the, what's the harm? If they say no, it's funny. If they say yes, you got a cheaper meal. There's no harm in asking. We should ask big, because our God can do anything. If we believe that he's a great provider, if we grieve that he's a great healer, if we believe that he is great compassion, he can deliver us out of anything, why don't we ask for that? Why don't we ask for that? Versus just stuff. We ask for stuff, I really wanna have this thing. Versus, I wanna have, I wanna have the life that you have painted for me. We have the right to ask audaciously. God wants us to, because it's an exercise in not testing him. It's an exercise in belief. So this is how to pray. Father, I recognize you as a loving father, a father who fulfills needs and exceeds in abundance. I desire to be close, to be so very near to your presence, I ask in your son's name to heal specific illnesses, to provide more than I could ever imagine because you are who you say you are. I just love that so much. Oh, before I move on to the next point, if you know how to worry, you know how to pray. Like for, for those that's like, I don't know how to do that. I don't know how to like, like ask for stuff. Well, technically worrying is, is praying for the stuff that you don't want to happen. It's literally, you're just like removing God from the equation. You're saying, I'm worried about this thing. I kind of want this to happen. I really hope this doesn't happen, but it probably will happen. That worrying is basically praying in the opposite direction. It's basically doing the opposite. It's saying, I trust that this isn't gonna happen and good things can happen. And I don't get the life that God, that God has described to me. And so worry is the opposite of prayer. Okay, last thing I said about, that, about requesting. Let's move on to repenting. Verse nine says this, hallowed be your name. I looked it up. That's how biblically you're supposed to say it. I thought it was hallowed or hallowed for like 32 years of my life. Anybody else? Hallowed. Hallowed. We all learned something today. I'm good to close in prayer if you guys are. No? Okay. It says, nine, hallowed be your name. Forgive us our debts as we also forgiven our debtors. 
When we recognize his holy nature, it changes the way we repent and treat others. We cannot ask forgiveness from God without also forgiving others. That's a good, that's a good earmark. Like if you're asking God for forgiveness and you have unforgiveness in your heart, that's not, like God doesn't drive with that. He super doesn't like that. Because if we truly understood how holy he is, we truly understood how he's able to forgive us and how we can repent and become clean, then we wouldn't not forgive other people. We wouldn't do that. Does that make sense? He says in verse 14, for if you forgive other people when they sin against you, your heavenly father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive others their sins, your father will not forgive your sins. That would be weird if we went to God and we were like, hey, I don't wanna be like this. Can you forgive me when I don't forgive others around me for the little stuff? Like saying mean things. Doesn't really matter. It doesn't really line up either. I love what Timothy Keller says. He says, a person who is constantly repentant is someone who is free, finally, from the pretense and invasion, free from the need to win every argument, free from the need to defend himself, free from the need to expose others. It's not a sign of weakness. Repentance is not a sign of weakness, but a sign of strength. It's not an experience of disempowerment, but of liberation. We have a rule in our house, and I've used this story before too. I learned, we learned, Kayla and I, my wife, um, we learned this in, in premarital counseling. We said, uh, you don't, they, they told us, you don't get to say I'm sorry. Because I think I mean, we've, all, we've all maybe done this too, where you're like, I'm sorry, I, I'm sorry you feel that way. I'm, I'm sorry I, I did that because like this person's mad at you. I'm sorry. I'm sorry is like a nothing statement. I'm sorry is like you might as well have said nothing because it actually still keeps the ball in your court. It's like, oh, I'm sorry. And that's how we, that's how we like repent to God sometimes, right? I'm like, oh, I'm sorry I broke this rule. Forgive me? That's not the right heart posture because we live in a world that doesn't like to say things. Repentance actually means, the Greek translated means to actually change your mind. Not to say I'm sorry. It says to change your mind means to actually change, like to physically change. But we live in a world that doesn't like that. How often do you hear these four phrases? Because this is what repentance is all about. I don't know. We don't like to say, I don't know. I was wrong. We don't like to say that either. My mind has been changed. My, my mind and my heart has been changed. I don't believe what I did before. Forgive me for any pain I caused you. Forgive me for the, the destruction and the distance that I put between us. That is a much better way for those that are looking to get married and looking to end an argument. Like you say, no, I, I agreed. I agreed with you. This is who I am to you. This is who you are to me. This is what the expectation was. I'm sorry. Forgive me for putting any distance and for living for a moment away from you. Do you see the difference? I'm sorry is a nothing statement. Repentance is not about I'm sorry. Repentance is about asking for forgiveness. Mm. Timothy, Timothy Keller says it this way too. To hallow God's name is to have a heart of grateful joy towards God and even more, a wondrous sense of his beauty. 
Consider how different this would be from the normal way we use prayer to get things. We may believe God, but our deepest hopes and happiness reside in things as in how successful we are in our social relationships. We therefore pray mainly when our career or finances are in trouble or when some relationship or social status is in jeopardy. When life is going smoothly and our truest heart treasures seem safe, it does not occur to us that we should pray. Seldom or never do we spend sustained time adoring and praising God. We know God is there, but we tend to see him as a means through which we get to make us happy. For most of us, he has not become our happiness. For those that were taking notes, the second point is when we remember he's holy and that we belong to him, we can repent more authentically. I love this quote. John Tyson, this is so good. He basically fixates on the angels in heaven. He says, unless you break the stronghold of false images of God in your mind, you'll never be drawn to prayer. The angels have been locked in a room with God for thousands of years, and they still haven't gotten past the word holy, holy, holy. If you're bored with God, you may be the person who's boring. Or it could be that you're just distracted by the trivia in our culture. When you break through that boredom, you'll be drawn to the glory of who God really is. Listen to this. When you fixate on how he is holy, how holy and perfect, and what that word means is set apart. Hallowed means holy. Holy, hallowed. Hallowed means holy. Holy means set apart. When you realize how different he is, it makes you want to be different. It makes you want to be different, not like everybody else. And when you see that you are like everybody, it's like, ah, no, I don't want to be like the world. I want to be like what you want me to be like. Do you see the difference in conversation? Wow. Bree's crushing it. Romans 12.1 says this, Therefore, I urge you, brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. This is your true and proper worship. Do not conform to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Then you will be able to test and approve what God's will is, his good, pleasing, and perfect will. How to pray. Father, I recognize you as perfect. I'm thankful for your son, Jesus Christ. And it is his name that I come to you repentant. I don't want this sin, death, and destruction in my life. I come to you again asking for forgiveness. It is in you that I am made whole. And your son, I am able to come here at all. Help me forgive like you do. Forgive me and all those you placed in my life. The last thing we see, thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. And he also says, lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from either evil. When we remember it's his kingdom and his will, we can rejoin him and rejoice. When we don't do that, we're operating in a sense of building our kingdom. There is no in-between, by the way. There's no like, I'm kind of doing God's thing and building God's kingdom, and I'm kind of doing my thing too. So when we say towards the end of our prayers, when we're actually saying yield, it, it's important that we yield to his kingdom and his plan and his perfect way and his protection and his direction. Not, hey, I got this picture of my kingdom, could you, could you come along in this? You can't ask God to be a passenger. Bro, he's the driver. 
And when we recognize that it's his kingdom and his will, then we get to receive his plan, his perfect and pleasing plan for our life. Does that make sense? It doesn't seem hard, but sadly, we live in a world that desperately wants the kingdom, but doesn't want the king. We want peace. We want righteousness. We want people to behave in a certain way. We want there to be good and perfect things on earth, but we want to do so outside of the context of him. You have to do it with him. You have to do it under him. He's king. It's, it's why it's called kingdom, because he's the king. He has a certain way of doing things. And we can either fight that and try to build our temporary kingdoms here on earth, or we can be a part of the greatest coming of a kingdom ever. This is the first thing Jesus said in his ministry, repent for the kingdom of heaven is near. It hasn't come yet. It's like an almost, but not yet. We get to be a part of that. That's, that's what I want you to take away. We get to be a part of building the greatest kingdom ever in all of time. I shouldn't have worn a cardigan. It's so hot up here. I just wanted y'all to trust me more. And cardigan said, trust, you know? My, if you were to ask a thousand people what Jesus's core message was, you would get a lot of love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength and love your neighbor as yourself, which is not untrue. That's very true, very, very true. But what Jesus talked about more frequently than that was kingdom. He reminded us constantly, yo, wake up, it's coming, repent, it's coming. Be a part of it or don't be a part of it. There is no in-between. When we consider what heaven is gonna look like and how we're gonna bring that down, it's a lot less judgment and a lot less trying to convict other people and a lot more grace and love, especially in a season like this. A quick history lesson. Uh, God's original intent was for, and this is in the garden, uh, God's original intent was for free, intelligent, creative human beings to collaborate with him on running the world. That's true. He created Adam and Eve as co-heirs to say, hey, could you help me run this thing? under my leadership, run this thing. Due to the freedom that God gave us, built into the human nature in the world, the world has gone horribly wrong. Do we agree? World's kind of messed up, not perfect. Doesn't look like heaven. Prayer is the relational exchange through Jesus, whereby we join and rejoin every day with God to put the world to rights, his rights. Robert Law says it this way, prayer is a mighty instrument, not for getting man's will done in heaven, but for getting God's will done on earth. For us to rejoin and receive, we must recognize his kingdom is not ours. There's nothing like it. He reminded us, he reminded us later in chapter six, he says, seek first his kingdom and all kingdom and his righteousness and all these things will be given unto you. He says, if we look to his kingdom first as a means for our life to function, then all these things will be given to you. He says, if you fix your eyes on the kingdom, all these things will make sense. All these things will be given unto you. Stop looking away. Stop trying to build your own kingdom. 
help me build mine. He wants us to be a part in this. That's it. And this is, this is it. When I'm wrapping up real quick, we have a place in this. He says in verse nine, so I say to you, ask and it will be given to you. Seek and you will find. Knock and the door will be opened to you. For everyone who asks receives. The one who seeks finds and the one who knocks, the door will be opened. God doesn't want us to be like passive bystanders. He wants us to be operators. He wants us to be in it. He wants us to help. Blaise Pascal says this, God has instituted prayer so as to confer upon his creatures the dignity of being causes. He has instituted prayer as a means by which we can be proponents of change. He made prayer a weapon. It's not a ceremony. It's not just a bunch of words that we have to say before a meal or when things go wrong or we want something. It is a weapon. Walter Wink said it this way, intercessory prayer, which is asking for stuff, requesting, is spiritual defiance of what is in the way of what God has promised. Intercession visualizes an alternative future to the one apparently faded by the momentum of our current forces. Prayer infuses the air of a time yet to be into the suffocating atmosphere of the present. History belongs to the intercessors who believe the future into being, a future that belongs to whomever can envision a new and desirable possibility, which faith and fixes upon the inevitable. If we are to take the biblical understanding seriously, intercession changes the world and it changes what is possible to God. To Karl Barth says this, to clasp the hands in prayer is an uprising against the disorder of the world. And then Timothy finally says this, I urge you then, first of all, that petitions, prayers, intercessions, and thanksgiving be made for all people, for kings, all those in authority, that we may live peaceful and quiet lives in all godliness and holiness. This is good and pleases God our Savior, who wants all people to be saved and to come to a knowledge of the truth. This is how we do it. Father, I recognize you as king, as sovereign, as in control. I know your ways are better than mine. Please direct my paths. Protect me from anything that might deter me from your perfect plan. Please show me what you are doing. Reveal to me what lies ahead so I can leave what is behind. I wanna be part of bringing your kingdom here. All right, so if we're working with the, if we're working with the, the metaphor painting, we take it from basic red, yellow, blue to something so much more colorful. And I hope that you leave with a more colorful picture of what, what is possible in prayer. Not just to ask for stuff, not just to say, I'm sorry, not just to try to bring God into your kingdom, but to be a part of his. If prayer is the painting, our understanding of God is the paint that we have access to, the colors we have access to. But most importantly, Jesus. Jesus is like everything that makes this possible. I tried to make this like a perfect analogy where it's like, oh, Jesus, is Jesus the paintbrush? Or is Jesus like the easel? Is Jesus like the canvas? No, Jesus is everything that makes it possible for us to even paint. You understand that without Jesus, we have no business talking to God. We get to talk to God because of Jesus. When we say in Jesus' name, that's what it is. Here's a perfect picture of it. There's a story. 
There's a story of Abraham Lincoln. He was notorious for, uh, oh gosh, what's the word? Pardoning. He was notorious for pardoning people, especially in times of war. Here's a story of an old man in, in Washington, D.C. He's crying on the bench. And a little boy sees him in the park and he goes over and he says, sir, why are you crying? He says, my son, my son is, gonna, is on death row and he's gonna die. And I've been trying to get in the White House for three days and I can't. I just need to talk to President Lincoln. And the little, little boy looks at him and says, come with me and grabs his hands and walks him straight up through the lawn into the building, through the corridor, corridors, up into Abraham Lincoln's office. And the man is so surprised, like, how? What? How does this happen? And Abraham Lincoln stands up and says, my son has a way of doing that. My son has a way of bringing the people I need to see to me. That's what Jesus is to God. We get to talk to God and we get to bring our life to him because of what Jesus did. Lived a perfect life. Died on a cross. Was buried. Rose from the dead after three days. And because of that, we get, we get to live eternally with him in heaven if we, if we trust him as Lord. We get all of this. We get this color palette. We get this power. We get provision. We get to experience God's providence if we just believe in him and put our trust in Jesus. Isn't that amazing? That's so incredible that we get that kind of access. And so I hope, in closing, I hope that, I hope that you left with a little bit of a picture of what prayer should look like to fill your prayers out more, not to make them more wordy, not to make them more spiritual, but to make them more specific, more detailed, more colorful, more vibrant. Vibrant's probably the best word. Amen? And I'll pray for us. Father, we love you. We thank you that you are king, you are holy, and that you are our loving father. Thank you. Thank you that we get to do this. Thank you that we get to come to you and tell you everything and anything. And it doesn't have to look perfect. Father, bless this time. Give us peace this week and bless this community. We ask all these things in your son's precious name. Amen. Hey, thanks for listening. If you'd like to learn more or if you'd like to join us on a Sunday, head on over to pinewoodboulder.com. If you enjoyed this podcast, please share it. And if you'd like to be notified every time we post new content, then subscribe. And remember, just keep coming back.